The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. You guys can have a seat. There are three great aches in the human heart. The text we just read, John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18, addresses those three great aches that we all have. Good morning, my name is Aaron. It's a pleasure to be with you today. And I wanna say welcome, I wanna add another welcome to those that have already been extended to you. If you're here uh, with us and you're new, so glad that you are here. And everybody, thank you for joining us on this first Sunday after Easter. Welcome to the Life Center and welcome everyone online as well. Thank you for joining us. Um, I will say I'm recovering from being sick. So I'm gonna sound different today. Thank you for your patience with me. And I'm not quite myself, so forgive me if I don't interact much. Um, I wanna share from the passage that, that Unhe just read from. It was John chapter one, verse 14 through 18. We're in a series called Seeing Jesus. And I hope today, I hope today you're able to glimpse the Savior so I think that this passage that he just read is one of the most beautiful pieces of literature ever penned in any philosophy, in any religion, or any text that's ever been put into the human story. This text is a revelation. It's a wonderful text, particularly for anyone who may not be a follower of Jesus yet, or maybe you used to be. Or you, you grew up sort of something, and you're just sort of coming back to church to check it out. This passage contains sort of the three great aches of the human heart. And the first is the word I want to point out to you is the very last word in our text. It's the word known. Known. Look with me at verse 18. We'll have it up on the screen for you. John chapter one, verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. Jesus came to show you what God is like so that you can know him, so that you can know him. If you would have heard this in the first century, when John was writing this, you would have said, one more time, come, come again, wait, what? What did you say? There would have been a sense of shock at this passage. In the Greco-Roman world, when John was writing this gospel, the belief was that behind all of human history was a force, and they called it Logos. And for the Greeks in particular, the goal of life was to comprehend the wisdom of the Logos. Yet here in this passage, 
John is saying that this logos you've been contemplating is now on earth. And he is a loving God who is among you. And for the Hebrews, John was writing to, their vision of God was one of a God appearing through signs. You're probably familiar with the story of Moses, right? Moses sees a burning bush and God speaks to him from this burning bush, this bush that's burning and yet is not consumed. And God manifests himself to his people through a, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And John says to the Hebrew believers that that God, Yahweh, is now here. And he's not just speaking through a bush. He's not just showing up in a pillar of cloud or fire. He's here in a person. He is a person. And he's in front of you. And this is what John wants us to see. You know, in our society today, we get numb to this. We still have, we still have this longing for connection to the divine, but we, too, put it off at a distance like the Greeks did. It sort of sneaks into our conversations, though, in our culture. We live in York County, Pennsylvania, and you can hear it. Just think about the work culture that you're in, wherever, wherever it is maybe that you work. Sometimes you'll hear somebody say, well, you know, you just have to trust the universe, man. Right? You ever hear somebody say that? I'm recovering from an illness. You can't leave me up here all alone. You've got to help me out a little bit, right? Is that, has that ever happened to you? All right? You ever hear people say this? Man, the universe is really helping me today. Yeah, my brother-in-law is the manager of the, the Books A Million here in New York. And he says, year after year, the two biggest sellers every year are manga and astrology books. People check their star signs every day. You, don't, you want to know why? In our age, we still hope there's a benevolent force behind everything. We still ache to believe that there's something up there, out there somewhere that's not indifferent to us, that will bless us. And I want to make the claim, but not 2,000 years ago, like John was doing to the Greeks and to the Hebrews, but I want to make the claim here in York County in 2023 that you can know that benevolent force, but it's not a force. It's a person. And that's why 2,000 years later, we still celebrate Jesus and his birth. That's why 2,000 years later, we still celebrate Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection on Easter because 2,000 years later, we still can't get rid of him. The universe and the power behind it all and what holds it together and makes it consist is a person and he's come to make God known to you and to me. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know God, the one who knows you, look to Jesus. What does God want us to know about himself? Well, getting to our second word in the text, Jesus makes a couple of things known. The first is truth. Truth. Look with me at verse 17. The law was given through Moses, 
but grace, we'll get to that later, and truth came through Jesus Christ. And let's just dial back to verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Jesus, it says in John's gospel, is full of truth, full of truth. Who do you trust to tell you the truth today? Do you trust politicians? You trust the media? I read an article before the pandemic called The Awe of Being Alive. And it was written by a man who had <clears throat> had a traumatic childhood. He was commenting on how in his childhood that was traumatic, the thoughtful, loving adults around him didn't shield him from the terror of human existence, but they walked with him through the valley of the shadows. And as an adult, he said, because he wasn't shielded, he felt that he had the internal resources to face reality and the raw truth of human existence. You know, nobody wants to tell us the truth today. And we're not prepared for reality. And that's why I'm so thankful for the person of Jesus because he's full of truth. He's full of truth. Jesus is the truth. He said, he described himself as the, as the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. God wants us to know the truth so that we can deal with the reality of our world and not live in a little fantasy world. Life is too broken to live in a delusion. Don't we feel that? Don't we feel that, church? Don't you feel this? This is an ache in the human heart. God forbid that we come into the church and perpetuate some kind of fantasy world or delusion. Thank God Jesus is full of truth. Jesus came to bring the truth. The first truth he spoke to us was about our sin and our brokenness. And we need, we need someone to tell us the truth about our sin and our brokenness. Now let's go back in John chapter 1 to verse 10 and 11. Look with me at verse 10 and 11. He was in the world, Jesus, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. The Bible calls this sin. We don't talk very much about sin in our world, and as a result, we have all kinds of problems and as a result, we struggle to understand the problems that we have. We struggle to comprehend the problems that we, that we experience. There's not just brokenness out there. There's brokenness in here. And I bet this year, if you were to, if you were to go back over your life, your own life, your lowest months, your lowest moments, were those moments that you said to God, maybe not in these exact words, you said, get out, I want to be my own God. I want to choose my own morality right now. I want to choose my own life right now. I want to choose my own authority right now. And as a result, we live with so much brokenness. So much dysfunction in our world. Why am I saying this? Jesus tells us the truth about it. 
He tells us the truth about it. He doesn't want us to live in a fantasy world or a delusion. He tells us the truth about our sin and our brokenness. The second thing he comes to tell us the truth about is that we cannot save ourselves. There are so many offers of false salvation in our culture today. One of them is political. We think if we get the right man or woman in power, it's going to fix America. Hmm. Listen, I'm going to say this, but you could say it too. I've seen Republican presidents and I've seen Democrat presidents, and I want to tell you they're both not great. The solution isn't political. And I'm not saying politics doesn't matter, it does. Legislation matters a lot. I'm just saying you won't find your salvation in a human leader. Sometimes we put our hope in reinventing ourselves. Mindfulness and self-care and keto and cleansing and digital detox minimalism. And listen, I've read more about these things than I care to admit. But ultimately, it doesn't work. Just look at me. Thanks for laughing. <laughs> because ultimately, we need a new heart. Not just new habits. New desires. New will. New relationship with God. Others try to save themselves with pleasure. Others just throw themselves into technology. And technology will not save us. Zygmunt Bauman is a man with amazing eyebrows. <laughs> and he was, also, he was a professor at Leeds University. And he wrote a series of books about the human condition in our world today. He wrote a book called Wasted Lives, and he makes the case that modern society is like a factory, right? He says that what a factory takes in is it takes in raw materials, and then it puts out two things, a product and waste. So he makes this analogy. He says the factory is modern society. Human beings go in as the raw materials, and the product is technology, and the waste is our humanity, our lives. And isn't it crazy? There's a ring of truth to that. We have the highest standard of living of anybody who's ever existed, and we're more depressed, more sad, more anxious, more angry, more bitter, and Jesus is telling us the truth that you cannot save yourselves through human effort. And this brings us to the third word. This is the, this is the, this is the good news. It brings us to the third word. Can anybody guess it? Grace. Grace. Just this tiny word in the text of Scripture, in a book written thousands of years ago. The word grace has brought more hope and life and joy and freedom and deliverance than almost any other word ever uttered on the lips of man. Or woman. Grace. 
How does God show his grace? Through his presence, his kindness, his favor, his goodness, his provision, his protection, his forgiveness, his life. It's all grace. It's all a gift. Life itself is grace, a gift. There are other religions and philosophies that attempt to give a diagnosis of the human condition, but none of them have a solution like the grace of God. Almost all of them suggest some form of reinventing yourself in your own power. Instead, Jesus says, let me change you with my love and forgiveness. And in John chapter 1, verse 16, he says, in his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. God's grace never runs out. Grace upon grace If you've ever given up on grace, I'm here to tell you today, don't give up. It's there for you right now. The grace of God and his grace upon grace is there for you right this moment. I'm going to tell you a secret. The longer you seek it, the longer you seek God's grace, the more it's going to get into your heart. Even if you have repeated the same mistakes over and over and over, it's not that grace is ineffective or inefficient, but that we are being what we are, imperfect vessels for it. The miracle is it works anyway. Amen? Grace works. Jesus makes God known. Jesus gives us the truth, and he gives us grace upon grace. Isn't Jesus amazing? He sneaks into the world as a little baby, spends 30 years in obscurity, is misunderstood. Why? Because he wants to be with us. He is the one who makes God known as the truth and as the person of grace, a God of fresh starts, second chances, and new beginnings. Church, there's also grace in who he comes for. Who does Jesus come for? He comes for the outcast. He comes for the orphan. He comes for the broken, for the sinner, for the failure, for the guilty, for the anxious, for the lonely, for the out of sorts. Do you recognize yourself anywhere in there? You ever, you ever been out of sorts? I, I remember Dallas Willard saying once, who do you think Jesus would want to spend time with? He said, I think Jesus would be interested in the people who wander around Greyhound bus stations. He just loves people. In Jesus' first sermon in Luke chapter 4, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for prisoners, sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus has grace upon grace. Jesus tells us the truth that God is here to save us, not condemn us, even though we are in our sin. And then Jesus comes to give us grace for life. It's not just an offer of change, but an encounter of liberation and satisfaction that's held out for you and me. 
There's an extraordinary couple of verses in John chapter 7 where Jesus stands up and in a loud voice, he says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. I'll read that to you one more time. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. We are going to so many different things trying to drink. We are going to so many different things trying to find the river of living water. Friends, this is the river. This is the river. When we take all these disordered loves and disordered trusts and disordered thirsts and begin to focus them on the person of Jesus, rivers of water start to flow out of our lives. I'm just a man, a pretty average dude. But because I know Jesus, the river flows out of my life. And the same with all who believe and follow Jesus. Amen? I know I'm talking to thirsty people. I know I'm talking to people who have an ache in their hearts. Take the thirst that you have and come to Jesus. And if you're, if you're new to all this, take the, take the thirst that you have. Take the ache in your heart and come to Jesus and, and read through the book of John and you'll find yourself in the river. Hey, if you're, if you're old to all this, come to Jesus. Read through the book of John and you'll find yourself in the river. My life and, the, and many people here, their lives would be defined by a line through the very middle of their life. Now, maybe it's not in the very middle, like, you know, it happened half their life ago, but there's a line running through their life. Gosh, I'm sweating. And this line represents before and after coming to know Jesus Christ. Because they realize that he came to make God known. And he's told them the truth when almost everybody else has done nothing but lie to them. And in spite of that, he's shown them grace. Many people's lives have a line through them before and after getting to know the person of Jesus Christ. And I don't know if you know this, but all of human history has that same line. What's today's date? Yeah, it's 2023, right? You know what 2023 is? It's 2023 years since Jesus. Our entire calendar system is dated on Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Every time you fill out a form or you have to write your birthday or pick up a prescription and they ask you, what's your birthday? Your birth year is another reminder that Jesus came before you. It's extraordinary. He is literally the dividing line of history. And so today, your life can have a before and after.
How do you do it? This is so amazing. He says, drink and receive. Drink and receive. To all who received him, he gave the right to become the children of God. What a wonder. It's not works. It's not religion. It's not performance. It's the truth about your sinfulness and the wonder of God's grace breaking in and saving you. Saving you from yourself, from your sin, from the condition your sin has you in and that lets you enjoy the goodness of God forever. Last week we celebrated Easter. In Jesus, God is made known. He wants you to know him today. In Jesus, the truth is told. Let his truth wash over your life and wash the lies away. And grace, grace upon grace comes flooding into a lot of the lives of all who receive him. Before we close in worship, I want to tell you a story. A couple years ago, I had, the, I had the great honor of leading a person to begin to know the truth of Jesus Christ. And this person um, wanted to do something, I guess, just uh, as a, a way of showing his gratitude. And so his wife contacted me and she said, hey, could you come over? Um, and she mentioned that her husband was in the garage, that he had a gift for me. I was like, sure. So I came over, walked out to their garage, and I went out there. And first, he had a gag gift for me because that was like our friendship. And I was like, oh, that's great. That's great. Uh, he had made some moonshine. <laughs> and he was building it up like it was, that was the gift. And <clears throat> but then I turned around, and he had made me a pulpit. He, had, he was good with his hands. He could build anything. And he had made me this wooden pulpit. And he'd carved the word grace into the top of it. And I was really stunned. And I was like, this is beautiful. And he said, you know why I put grace on the top? And I was like, um, I didn't know what to say. He said, because you told me once, grace is your favorite word. I had zero recollection of ever telling him that. <laughs> I'm not sure if I ever did. But here's what occurred to me. Maybe, we want people to know the truth, right? Maybe if we show up as people of grace, if you and I who have come to know God through the person of Jesus Christ, God's son, the resurrected Jesus, if we who know the truth and our lives have been transformed by it. If we who receive grace upon grace upon grace can live that grace, maybe it'll rub off and others will come to know the truth of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your incredible love for us. And thank you for your whole beautiful plan of redemption and salvation that we see playing out in scripture. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for your, your wonderful plan of redemption. Father, thank you that it includes making yourself known to us. Thank you, Lord, that it includes speaking the truth to us about this world, our condition, who we are. And thank you, Lord, 
you have nothing but grace for us. We receive it today. We want to drink and receive your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.